Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about radical architecture of the future. Today on the show, I'm joined by the curator, critic, writer, and editor, Beatrice Galilee. Beatrice is currently the founder and executive director of The World Around, an itinerant conference and platform for architecture and cultural discourse. Before this, she was the first curator of contemporary architecture and design at the Metropolitan Museum of Art here in New York. She's curated shows around the world and has written for publications like Eflux, Domus, and Pinup, and from 2006 to 2009, she was the architecture editor for Icon Magazine. I've been a fan of Beatrice's for a long time, but when her first book came out late last year, I knew I needed to get her on the show. The book is called Radical Architecture of the Future, and it's this look at the practitioners, critics, theorists, writers, artists, designers who are rethinking what architecture is and can be. It read in many ways like a list of all of my dream guests for this show and forced me to reconsider my own thinking around contemporary architecture and design. And so we begin this conversation talking about the book. We talk about what radical architecture means, her own evolving definitions of architecture, and how the people in this book who span filmmaking, design, writing, sculpture, in addition to architecture, how all of them influence her own work. From there, we talk about her current project, The World Around, and her goals for this platform and how it differs from the work that she was doing at the Met. And then we close the conversation talking about curatorial practice and how her experience as an editor and a writer shapes this work. As you'll see, Beatrice thinks about her work in a way that I very much relate to, and it was so nice to talk through these ideas with her. If you like Scratching the Surface, I hope you consider supporting it on Patreon. We offer three monthly tiers, $3 for students, $5 for patrons, and $10 for superfans that give you access to all sorts of bonus content like a monthly newsletter, early episodes, full transcripts, and exclusive bonus interviews all while helping to financially support this show. If you like Scratching the Surface, if you want to see it continue, I hope you consider joining us on Patreon. It, it really helps keep the show going. You can visit patreon.com slash surface podcast for all the details and to, and to sign up. Thanks for listening. And here is my conversation with Beatrice Galilee. or newish book, I guess, at this point, called Radical Architecture of the Future, which I loved for, for multiple reasons. The first being that it felt like just a great list of all the people that I should have on the show. You made my research <laughs> very, very easy. Um, but the other thing that I loved about it is that I don't, I, I, it's hard for me to say what I was expecting with a title like Radical Architecture of the Future, but what the book was, was not what I was expecting. And the reason being, I was really surprised and delighted by how many non-architects, maybe we could say, or, or people who are outside of kind of what we traditionally think of as architecture were featured in the book. And, and it all really made sense. And I think you kind of then created a really interesting thesis because of that. But it mm -hmm. got me thinking about your own definitions of architecture and this kind of blurriness of what we now define as architecture. And I'm wondering to start the conversation, if you can kind of talk about, in the context of putting this book together, how you thought about what architecture is and, and how you think about what architecture is. Um. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much. I, I think for me, you know, I studied, I studied architecture. I was an, I, you know, an undergraduate architecture student and um, my training as an architect kind of began with a very expanded idea of what architecture could be because I didn't think I was going to be an architect. I was like someone who thought that I would I was interested in architecture and I thought that that was enough to study it. And what I was interested in in architecture was that I was interested in people and, and uh, sociology. And I was, I was interested in like maths and engineering and I was interested in history and cities. And um, I kind of went into architecture school uh, with a very sort of sideways look at architecture and my professors, I mean, I've one of my professors is actually in the book, Indy Johar. Um, oh, yeah. You know, 
somehow I just sort of landed in this uh, very pretty conservative architecture school um, that was very, very open to this expanded field of architecture and wanted um, to encourage people to think about architecture as something else. And so even though I was uh, an architecture student, I did, um, I wrote a magazine instead of designing a building for one of my <laughs> final projects. I, yeah. you know, I did all of my um, professional practice inside an architecture newspaper in London. Um, and, you know, we were very much understanding like the process of building and making and changing as something that an architect was kind of at best halfways, um, halfways involved in, you know, like that there would always be a, an agent of change, which would be a finance or, a, you know, a, a social need, or, you know, there's always a, an ask before there's an answer. And, uh, and I think that that kind of question and answer paradigm is something I always try to understand with architecture like what's what's missing why do you need right. an right. architect what's what's the problem that you're trying to solve and how did that problem occur if you're trying to solve it you know so there's always been to me this like huge uh, iceberg underneath um, yeah. you know yeah. the ocean that we don't really talk about in architecture and um, that's been my interest since really like since I first first sort of came came across the field as a very young person so um and also I would say that I came across the field as someone who was planning to be an, uh, a music journalist <laughs> so oh, I was like really interested in like writing and I was thought I would go into you know and I did do a little bit of music journalism and writing for magazines and reviewing bands and stuff like that so I was really interested in writing and thinking about you know, culture in a way and arts and music and ended mm. up writing about architecture. So it's a little bit long winded, but to me, the, it's not, it's, I understand that, it, you know, it is uh, unconventional, let's say to include um, game designers or right. um, artists who are working with spaces. But to me, the, they're just different answers to the same questions. You know, there are different ways of exploring, um, society and different ways of reflecting the values and um the status of things now and right. that's what i find interesting about architecture like what does it embody and what is it um yeah a, a little bit like what we were we were saying that deanna van buren says it's like we build our values and right. i think that uh really hits on how i see architecture but also how i see all the disciplines around architecture um so yeah does that that's kind of a long answer. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's you. I have many questions based on on, on that <laughs> answer. Now, I'm I. I mean, just for a second to keep it on the book, and then I, I would like to to go back up to a few things you said about your education. Um, but I, I would love to hear your a little bit about your kind of curatorial process for a book like this, mm -hmm. where it is ostensibly about architecture, and you know, obviously, we're, we're talking about architecture in a very wide sense, mm -hmm. but then thinking of putting people like, and you started to, to say this, but I was, I loved that someone like Elizabeth Diller could sit next to Arthur Jaffa, uh, yeah. you know, or James Bridle, people who mm -hmm. I don't normally think of as even kind of remotely close to their work as architecture, but uh, the way you kind of curated this, the way you edited this, the way you put all of these people together, they all start to be in dialogue with each other. Can you talk a little bit about that process and how you started to go outside these kind of usual suspects that would go in a book about, you know, quote unquote, radical architecture? Yeah, def definitely the way that um, I see it is that there are, uh, like, I, I, I guess I personally would find a book just about architecture um, like, you know, it would just, it would really not represent the discipline well, because I mm. feel that the thing about architecture is that it absorbs life, you know, it absorbs society, absorbs issues of the world. And if you're not putting it adjacent to other people thinking about those issues, you're missing an enormous right. part of what architecture is. Um, and so James Bridal, um, and all of his work and all of his thinking it's something that architects should be aware of and should be thinking about and should be feeding into their um, into their ideas and their ways of seeing the world because it affects the way I see the world. 
you know, right, like right. understanding how James sees the world, how Donna Haraway sees the world, you know, how philosophers and thinkers are like identifying extremely important, um, um, how would you say it, like currents, you know, and, and drawing them out. And architecture is so far behind all those currents usually. Um, and there are people like Liz Diller who are way more like, you know, her mind and her thinking and her practice is always way ahead of what she builds because, you know, it's like eight right. years ahead, just, you know, right. just as a matter of fact, but, um, you know, really, really, she's actually at that level of like someone who could, you know, um, publish a book, um, thinking about, you know, the new dark age, like she, she is equivalent to that. It's just mm. that the work is <laughs> the format is very mm. different, um, and the time frame for that format is very different. Um, so, to me, including an right. architect doing like temporary, uh, you know, installations at Chicago Biennial, um, that's just a different format for their practice. Um, but there are, you know, there are really, really many other ways that architecture can be expressed. And I think that calling a book like Radical Architecture of the Future is just saying why do we always have to think about architecture as this finished product? Um, it's clearly not, you know, there are so many things that we have to understand about architecture that happen before anything ever gets built. And that design process is not a making process. And that design process is a thinking process. Um, and that design process is a conversational process. It's a looking and listening process. Um, and there are many, many, many practitioners in um around around us like super exciting ways of taking all of those listening and thinking um aspects of architecture and just coming out with a, a different output um and so for me that's the thing that I, I i look at like who what are they all thinking about and then the output is is the output um you know yeah i love i love that and i i think that you know and i should i i if i'm not if I haven't been clear, I like this approach to thinking about it. I'm, Definitely, I'm, yeah. I, no, I I'm totally <laughs> in, in agreement with you. Um, I, I have another question, kind of about this this relationship between kind of the, the thinking or the questioning and the output. And I'm not totally sure how to phrase the question, so I'm gonna. I apologize. I'm gonna read something that you wrote in the introduction that okay. maybe can can kind of get to my question. Uh, in the intro to the book, you say. When compiling this array of diverse projects, one thing that became clear is that the terms under which architecture exists today, permanent, patriarchal, capitalistic, upholding a Western canon, have changed. The biggest mm -hmm. civil rights movement of a generation, Black Lives Matter, which takes place over the which took place over the summer of 2020, has precipitated much needed reflection on the role of architects in manifesting an unjust social order of largely white male privilege, as well as the discipline's explicit contribution to the planet's ecological catastrophe. Um, I love that. I think that really sums up a lot of what this book is about. And I'm, I, I guess the, the question that I'm kind of trying to get to or, 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 or struggling to, to get out is that the book is called Radical Architecture of the Future. We're already kind of uh, interrogating this word architecture, but this idea <laughs> of the future is also interesting because it's very much a book about the present also. And it's about taking these ideas and putting them into the world. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that's a question other than I would just love to hear you kind of talk about that. Um, you know, that, the, the, that everything came back to, um, to formats and mediums and structures that it isn't just, even the thinkers have, um, things to show for it. You know what I mean? Whether that is a book or a, you know, a sculpture, what was that? Was that a, the, the idea of the object, I guess, maybe, is that something that's important to this? Do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm trying I to think, say? I think what you're getting at is that, you know, sometimes when you think about architecture of the future, you think about hypotheticals and mm -hmm. you think about things that are like dream, you know, archigram drawing projects or right, you think right, about, right? right. Like there's something about imagining the future but to me, I think it's more important to have finished projects that are the reference points and are the reason are like potential directions. You know, like they're kind of lighthouses on the rocks of like you know you could come here. You know, you could if you're a young architect, you could you could also do this. Like this is an amazing way to imagine the future of architecture. You know, you don't have right. to go the normal route. Um, and in a way the the kind of idea of like radical architecture being something that's real and tangible it's just on the fringes um and you can 
you can bring that into you know the mainstream like everybody can go there um and then it will be less radical (laughs) and it will be normal and that's fine too um it's i guess that's that's i think what's interesting about it it's not it's not a, a book that tries to imagine what the future is like it's saying the future is potentially like this if you follow and and listen to the ideas of these very forward-thinking architects and these very important um uh sort of kind of genre defining uh practices yes you, you know we could have a future that that is a lot more equitable and um is is a lot more you know it's a lot better on the environment like it has these are real tangible projects that you could follow and you may be radical if you're like the second one or the third one <laughs> but maybe if you're like the 25th one or the 100th one you know it starts to become something that really matters to everybody and um i guess that's something that i i, I like and i always try to work with as a curator is like real projects i'm not someone who is um particularly drawn to the hypotheticals um i really i think that there is genuinely something quite remarkable about the building process and the making process and and i really respect and admire people that go through it and they are able to deliver something that matches you know their vision in the beginning it's not easy to it's not easy to be an architect it's not easy to be an artist and get your vision manifested it's extremely hard and it takes um you know, I really respect people that are able to to do that, yeah. and I and I want to admire yeah. that and say like this is not easy, and and it takes like a real um, like mind of steel, you know, to like get that done. And mm-hmm. I know that because I've been in, involved in many of these things. So I think that's why I'm always like I really want to respect the makers and and the people that uh, that deliver what they wanted. I mean, do you see yourself as, again, thinking about these kind of expanded or blurry definitions, thinking about, you know, kind of making or production, you, you know, you did study architecture, even though you kind of knew that you weren't going to be designing buildings, it sounds like, um, (laughs) do you see your work as architectural in some way? Or do you think that that education has shaped your work as a writer, curator? I think so. Yeah, I I definitely see myself as as a a designer of sorts. You know, <laughs> like I guess <laughs> there is um you know I have an eye that that um but it's just that I design you know events and exhibitions and I right. um you know my my practice and my writing practice is something that um is I would say definitely architectural. You know, architecture ish. Um, it's not. <laughs> It's not, um, you know, it's it's obviously not architecture, but um, yeah, I do I do see myself as as a as someone who, you know in the in the field. You know, I don't think of someone. I don't think of myself as outside looking in. Um, I do right. kind of see myself as like part of this community. I mean, yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of hear you say that, and I'd like to maybe we're kind of moving through your career backwards in a way, because I think this totally connects to the world around mm-hmm. also. I mean, I think, I think radical architecture of the future in many ways feels like a, a book form of what a lot of the people that you're kind of bringing together in the world around. And I think we could, you could make the argument that the world around is about, um, you know, designing spaces in a way, not the physical spaces, but designing spaces for a particular type of conversation, which feels kind of architectural. Um, I, I guess just for people who are not familiar with the world around, can you give the kind of high level description about, about what that is? I have a couple specific questions, but just as to, to kind of frame that, how do you describe the world around? So I, I call it, um, uh, I guess an, an itinerant organization because we don't have a venue. Um, so we're an itinerant nonprofit. Um, and the idea is that we tell stories about contemporary architecture. Um, and I, I really like this line of like making the invisible forces that shape our lives visible. Um, and it's always one, one person, one project, one story. And the stories are, um, related to a project that happened in the previous year. So it's a, it's a kind of archive of a a kind of series of capsules of time of kind of architectural practice Mm. over time. 
um, I guess much like this podcast in some ways, but like it's very much one project. So you, it's right, like 15 right. minutes, one person presents one project and it's a story of a building or it's a story of a book or it's a story of a movie. It's the story of um, a movement. It's a story of um, a an installation, whatever it is. <clears throat> it's one one story. And um, it's just a really great format to to explore architecture because it's it's a way of telling that kind of 50% or sometimes 60% of the presentation is going to be the making of and the thinking of. And then the last part is the kind of the real is the building itself, which is very much how I relate to architecture. So, and I love hearing from architects directly, you know, I think it's just so much more of a dynamic way of presenting architecture than, 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 you know, printed matter or even exhibitions. Um, I think it's, to me, it's the way to, um, the way that I've, best found to communicate what I love about architecture and um that's I think it kind of comes comes through a little bit you know in in the kind of care and the the attention that we pay to to making all of these little films um and in the the one that we just did which was um we're itinerant and currently we're in residence at the Guggenheim Museum um, so we worked with them to create this all day event um, in January where we filmed a bunch of, um, you know, like probably, uh, I think, 20 um, different projects. Uh, we kind of went to people's studios. We went to the buildings themselves. We went to sites of research. We went to exhibition spaces. Um, and we started to tell the story of, uh, of all of these different projects that happened over the world. And I think the global component of it is 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 extremely, um, as you will you will know, it's very important to me. Um, it's something that I, um, I I really really find important to to show like extremely global um, perspective right. on, on contemporary architecture. Right. So that's kind of what we do. I, I I totally get what you're saying about that format being kind of like the ideal format for you to talk about architecture in the way that and, and what you like about architecture because that's that, that's how I feel about this podcast in that there's something about the dialogue the conversation about kind of hearing from people actually talking about their work and how they think about their work that that starts to capture something which is very much what you're doing I think you know obviously like you said the format um is different and the the structure is different, but I I, I totally get why you're why you're drawn to this. I, I would love to hear more about this fifteen minute kind of talk one project. When I first saw that that was that when I when when the world around first launched and this idea that it was fifteen minutes, I immediately thought and I'm I, I apologize for saying this. I was like, oh, this is like TED talky, you know, it's it's superficial, it's think piece, like, you know, that sort of thing. And it's really not, you're able to actually get quite a bit of depth in the 15 minutes. Can you talk about why that became the structure and kind of how you move beyond the, this is star architects talking about star project? I think it, well, as you may know, you know, I was at the Met for five years as the curator mm -hmm. of architecture there. And um, one of the things that I was kind of able to do there was this conference called a year of architecture in a day. Right. And that conference, um, was really, you know, the, I guess the product of a lot of, you know, discussions and, you know, trying to figure out and, and, and create this kind of, or calibrate maybe, um, the best way to, to kind of convey a year of architecture in a day. It was just an idea mm -hmm. that I had that I wanted to, to try. And the thing is about me is like, I just don't, I, it's almost like I can't do less than a certain amount. Like I really <laughs> want like a certain kind of number of people on a list. I don't know what it, I just want that diversity, that kind of global range, that spread. So it started from that constraint of like, well, how do we tell a story of a year of architecture in a day? it's not going to work with like six people, you know, I'm going to need, right. I'm going to need 25, you know? And so right, right. It, sort of, it began with honestly that, and how do we, you know, I just want David Ajay to talk about the Smithsonian. I don't want him to do a one hour lecture. 
you know, and because that's going to ruin my day. You know, I need everyone to do 10 minutes. And so it started with 10 minutes. um, And it was kind of, you know, it's such a different era, right? Of like flying people in to give a 10 minute um, presentation at the Met. I mean, it was, of course, and everybody, as you know, we don't really need to explain it, but of course, everybody came in from more than that and had, you know, other reasons to come to New York. But ostensibly, um, we flew people from all around the world to to come and give a 10-minute presentation. And and they were, you know, broadcast on Dizine and, you know, had a really big impact um, because we were able to have this mix, like Julie Moretu was speaking, Wolfgang Tillmans was speaking, um, but also, like, Ensemble was there and Andres Hacker was there and... Um, uh, you know, Go Hasekawa. And so we had like the, the same mixture of high profile and coming up and everything was this kind of chemistry of um, and of like similar projects, but not very similar projects all, all at once. Um, and so the, the, the experiment kind of began with that and that evolved, you know, year on year to become something that was kind of like impossible to manage by the end of it. Hmm. Like this, the third edition of the of a year of architecture in a day had like queues around you know the Met, uh, thousands of people showed up and um, you know it was yeah it was impossible to manage and um, it was a big success in that sense but it was you know um, uh, kind of grew outgrew the Met in a way um, and so that was interesting and I think that the the way the world around emerged was like, how do we keep that going, but also just really dig into it and and start to, you know, create this archive and this educational resource and be a real advocate for sharing knowledge about the absolute best practices in architecture today and be a resource for students, be a resource for museum goers. You know, it's not something that, and again, one thing that I really learned from the Met is that architecture is not, it's not just interesting to architects and um, we were able to create this format that makes it digestible, that makes it interesting, that creates this, you know, short story around a building that makes it um, really compelling. And like, we, you know, met trustees and met kind of um, just, you know, people off the street were, were, were really into it. And that was so gratifying um honestly because yeah, that's kind yeah. of what you want um yeah. and that's that's really where like both the book and the world around um that's kind of the genesis of both of those projects really can you talk more about the audience for the world around i'm curious i imagine that comparing to the mets the world around i could be wrong but you know maybe has a different audience but how do you who do you see as the audience for the world around and has that changed with things going remote and that now these can all just you know be on on youtube yeah one of my big goals is to to try and globally diversify the audience um i think that the actual people attending are are pretty not not architecture specifically like around 50 percent architects um but I would like to uh, have translations on all the videos pretty soon. So we'll have like, you know, Spanish, Portuguese, um, Chinese, Japanese, you know, that's really important to me. And I think that's the next level for the world around to, to, to go into. And I think we did it a little bit with this last conference where we had people speaking, you know, we had, um, you know, Nishizawa speaking in Japanese and um, we had, um, I think only one other um, native language, which was in Spanish and in Mayan. Um, but that's something I think that we can really lean into in the future and make the most of, yeah, being on YouTube and being online. Um, and I think that's, yeah, that's basically where, where I want to go next. Kind of building off of that, do you see the, the narrative of the world around or the kind of editorial framework or curatorial framework of the world around? Do you see that as somehow countering a kind of dominant architecture narrative or supplementing that? Or I I guess the question is, I'm kind of curious how you see the world around fitting into a larger 
landscape of architecture discourse um, and what you want the world around to do that only the world around could do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm taking questions. I'm taking answers on that, honestly, because I, <laughs> it's, it's kind of just over a year old. You know, it's not very, you know, I think that the two by four, uh, graphic design um, is so uh, like iconic to me at this point. Like I feel yeah. like people <clears throat> were asking me how many years the world runs, you know, and I like I was like it's it's one year. Like we haven't we've done yeah. two events. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> which that's so funny too because 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 Michael has written and talked about how design actualizes things it Absolutely. makes them real and so their branding for you has has and for many people has made the world around seem uh you know bigger older uh you know just Absolutely. because of having a, a good branding system that's so funny yeah i mean you you of all people will know all about that you know and yeah. it works and i think it's something that i was extremely um you know aware of and i um diego marikin who i started the world around with was is also is completely on the same page and was like if we're doing this we're gonna do this and we're gonna get two by four and it's gonna look like a real institution off the bat you know we're not having um that's the way that we're gonna do it and i think that was such a great decision and it's just been such a productive professional partnership with two by four you know i just love working with them and they've done so much for us um yeah just just through that um extremely incisive identity building brand building I, it's interesting to hear you say that, and I'm curious, you mentioned um, a little bit your time at the Met, and I'd like to kind of maybe compare the two, because your career, tell me if this is wrong, but it seems like your career has mostly been independent, but you you have had these kind of brief moments where you've been inside <laughs> institutions, whether that's like writing for Icon, which I guess is a much smaller institution than the Met, but then your time at the Met, is there... Can you talk about the differences between kind of working inside an institution versus uh, starting something on your own or or working independently and how you see both of those? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I wonder if I'm going to answer this in the right way, but, you know, there's some people who kind of put on like a, a uniform when they go to work. And that's kind of who they are at the office, and that's who, and then there's someone else when they kind of go home. And I'm just not like that. <laughs> like I'm just, it's just kind of always me. And I think that um, that has been to my advantage in many places. Like for example, when I'm when I've been independent, I've always been extremely like <clears throat> like I made it. I made a, another institution in London called the Gopher Hole with some friends of mine and, you know, we decided to make our own institution and we did a bunch of crazy programming and invited people all the time and had a lot of fun doing that. And then I was um, working in the Biennale and I was in charge of the Biennale. And so I was like the same person starting an institution is suddenly responsible as a chief curator for managing, you know, 70 um, tiny different projects. And I think that um, this, my interest is also, is, is in being, adapting and I think that's a um, a way of thinking about what I do but I didn't I was kind of running a biennale inside the Met you know when I was doing the the year of architecture in a day and I was um, you know writing um, articles while I was still at the Met and traveling and and I think I was able to I, I learned so much from being at the museum but I was also like really doing what I loved so I was doing you know uh, commissions on the rooftop, um, worked with Amelia Parker, um, you know, commissioning site-specific projects and managing production is something I'm really good at and something I've done in many biennales and um, exhibitions I've done in the past. So it was really like um, a joy to be to be working on a, just a totally different scale and like, okay, I've done it. I've done exhibitions and biennales where the entire uh, you know budget for the biennale is something like less than six figures you know so 
and then working at the Met and you have like a real budget, like you can do real projects. And so it was a, I was just able to kind of polish everything and professionalize everything that I was doing in a very scrappy way before. Um, and so I think that that's in a way what happened, you know, it's like I was just very productive and very busy and I did Biennale after Biennale after Biennale. And then I did, you know, you know, uh, performances and projects and writings and texts but I kind of didn't stop doing those things in New York it's just that I did them all within the museum um so I'm sort of collaborating with the education department and the graphic and the design department and I was working on the Breuer launch and I was working on uh, photography and acquisitions and so I think the spinning plates you know side of me just kept going inside the museum um and now that I'm out, it's the same thing. You know? It's not, didn't change that much. Um, it's just, yeah, it got a little bit more professional, you know, we have, um, you know, I understand things a little bit, you know, a little bit more. Um, I'm building the 501c3. I'm, I'm, I'm working on board building and, you know, uh, accounting and all of that stuff that you need to do. And so I think this, yeah, it's, to me, it's kind of all the same. Um, yeah. Just, uh, huh. you know, it hasn't, really changed me (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know if that's good or bad uh i I, I was asking that that question somewhat selfishly as somebody who has also always been primarily independent and has definitely had moments where it's like oh this would be so much easier if i was just you know inside an institution doing these things but it sounds like it's just the same amount of work and (laughs) just always doing everything if you're that kind of person yeah i mean i remember the interview the first interview i had with the met or the one of the last ones i had with them they were like looking at my cv like you seem to be really doing a lot like why do you want to be at the met you know and i was like I heard that you pay every two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, that was, it was, um, it was, it was really, uh, yeah, it was a really wonderful experience. And I learned so, so much. And I met people, you know, who will be with me for the rest of my life in one way or another. And that's so meaningful. And some of my friends, you know, apply for jobs in institutions and they're like, oh, am I going to, you know, get a layer of dust over me you know and and sort of calcify somewhere and i was like mm. I, don't, I don't think so i think it's great right. you know i think that you have to get the i think i feel like i got the maximum out of the met that i could possibly have got and if i'd stayed there for 10 years it would have been kind of the same um right right so that's you know that's how i see it what about i i, I i'm not asking you to um you know, trash talk the Met or anything like that. But I'm curious about the kind of, I don't, I don't know the word, the flexibility or the um, openness to content and exhibitions. I mean, this goes back to what we were saying at the beginning, where I feel like radical architecture of the future and the world around are really pushing the limits of what we call architecture and what we call mm-hmm. architecture discourse. And I'm curious if in being in an institution that has a kind of cultural and institutional responsibility to, you know, be a certain number of things. And then you being in the architecture department in there, were you still able to kind of push those boundaries and blur those definitions of architecture in an institution like that? Well, I mean, I was in an art department. I mean, I was in the modern Mm. and contemporary art department. So Mm. I actually was, myself like expanding the definition of the art department by being an architecture okay. curator if you see what i mean right. like, almost the opposite. Yeah. um yeah. that they saw architecture as an expansion of the modern and contemporary field of, of art which it is um so i think that uh gave me you know so much um uh yeah like i, I guess i was able to work with artists so as a curator i was working on the rooftop commission um, right, right. And I was working on, you know, public programming, which really curators are not really supposed to do in institutions. You're supposed to work on shows and acquisitions. And then I was acquiring um, film. You know, I was work- I was acquiring right, right. films. I was acquiring um, photography. Um, you know, so it really was. It really was actually part, very much a, a, a big part of my. Um, engagement in contemporary art happened because of the Met. It definitely wasn't resisting that. 
by any means, mm. you know. Um, yeah. And that's not being political. It's just it's just kind of true. Um, and I think that yeah, no, that's good to hear. Yeah, I think that the um, what I, you know really what I was interested in at the Met was how architecture was existing in in all in the Museum of yeah. Art, you know. And I think that architecture was present in the Egyptian department. You know, saw it in my essay. Like there was architecture on display in maquettes in ancient Egypt, and there was architecture on display in you know um, wall posts in. Um, in the African art department, you know, there is architecture and period rooms and it's just a place that is full and so kind of packed with, with different stories about architecture. Um, so it was really generative, I think, in that, in that sense. Like it totally kind of blew my mind about how we could think about architecture and how we can display architecture and the, and the issues and constraints around it too. Yeah, I mean, I guess that I guess that was kind of what my my question was, or what I was struggling to articulate a little bit, because architecture and design generally, to me, sometimes feels like when you put it in a department, when you put the boundaries around it, that that is a disservice. It doesn't talk about the the real lived experience of these objects or buildings or mm-hmm. posters or whatever they need to kind of be in this context. They need to be, um, you know, occupied, not just uh, looked at. Exactly. And and they they live inside all of these other kind of departments uh, in a way, and that that's that's where they start to to take on life, I guess. Yeah. Um, I I have a couple questions to wrap up mm-hmm. um, the conversation because I want to go back to to the beginning of your career. You mentioned at the beginning of the conversation that you had an interest in being a music. Uh, writing about music, you always had an interest in writing. Your career started as a as a writer for for Icon Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm interested in the the differences and similarities for you between writing and curating. Um, that move seemed to happen fairly quickly mm-hmm. for you. Do you, do you see those as uh, similar processes? I think like editing and. I think I think that the I was the architecture editor at Icon, um, and I was um, they're pretty much straight out of architecture school. Mm. Um, I had done a, a master. I was kind of doing my masters of archi- history of architecture at the same time I was at Icon, um, and I definitely saw the role of architecture editor as this as a very curatorial role you know it, it definitely was um it, it, a bunch of stuff was coming across our desk but i was actively it was a it was like i don't know if you remember this time before design um it was like you know we needed to contact photographers and we need to contact architects and find out what they're building and when it was finished and get it shot and write about it and send someone to go visit it and it was really exciting, you know, it was really like, a, it wasn't a, a process of, of like, you know, just receiving <clears throat> press releases. It was really, right. it was right. pretty much, um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, it was, it was exciting. So I was involved in that, you know, I would be on the phone to Iwan Barn or, you know, whoever it was, the photographer and just be like, where, what's your plan for the next couple of weeks? Like, where are you going? What are you shooting? Or can you go and do this? And, and so it was a very active role. Um, wasn't just writing, you know, um, mm. was making the magazine. And I think that we all saw, and I was working with Justin McGurk, um, yep. and, you know, we definitely saw the magazine as not something that was like an archive of what just happened, but like a, a manifesto of like, you know, the best and, and like, you know, maybe we would be like creating um, this kind of the, the type of, the type of work that we were showing, we kind of felt like it was a, um, it was important, you know, like we, I, I remember doing this issue called activist architects and thinking mm. this was really important, you know, it's really important work that we're doing. Um, we did an issue about young architects, you know, I would al- always do these young architect issues and we felt it, it, we felt it changed the careers of the architects being in the magazine, you know, we felt like it was a, um, a certain influence that we had at that time. Um, so it wasn't that difficult to go from that to curating also because of my background as an architect, um, trained as an architect, it was, I moved to China in 2009, um, just kind of arrived in Beijing, um, with my work permit. Um, and it's like, okay, let's be a curator now. I wonder what that means, you know, and there's a certain naivete that, that 
that you kind of need <laughs> to, to sort of accept that job um, and a certain kind of, you know, innocence in a way just to say yes to these projects that, you know, clearly have no experience doing. And I would give so much credit to Oning, who was my boss, who hired me at 26 and just said, you know, go, you can do this. Um, yeah. um, and I commissioned like 15 site-specific projects by architects um, having never done anything like that in my life. Um, right, so, right. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't that, that much of a leap, you know, and I worked with people I'd worked with before in the magazine. And so it was, it felt quite natural. And a lot of people in London, uh, did that, you know, they moved from, from magazine to, to museum magazine to be like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Justin McGurk is, is exactly the same. Yeah. Um, I mean, I asked that question selfishly as somebody who does a lot of writing and editing and is very interested in curating and sometimes thinks about my work curatorially or, you know, curatorial adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked to many, many people on the show who are writers or editors who have moved into, into curating. And the thing that I'm kind of always asking them is like, I know how to make an argument in an essay, but then to do that with objects or in a space I, I don't know how to do that. And that's something that I'm, I'm interested in. And so maybe my kind of follow-up question to, to you is where writing fits into your practice now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're still, it seems you're still writing a lot. How does that kind of fit into all these other activities that you're doing? Um, I think it, it's a, it's a distilling process. I think writing for me, um, it's a, just a gathering up of all of the ideas that are kind of floating around in my head. And it's an opportunity to mm. um, just co- slightly more calmly process them. Um, so I do see it as a kind of, it's not, I, I tend to write at the end of things, which I don't know is best, but I do. Yeah. I kind of write, I don't know. I write in the evenings. I write late, you know, I, you know, I, I write into the night. I'm not like a, early morning kind of writer um and I think that yeah to me it's just a sort of way of trying to make sense of of what happened I I rarely write in advance of of a project yeah it sort of happens and then I have to think about it afterwards oh that's interesting um I I used to be a morning writer um and I think some of that was just the like romantic notion that you're supposed to like get up early and write with like a clear head. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I would always get distracted in the morning. I feel like, oh, there's other things I need to do today. There's like immediate tasks. And I found that it, I'm actually better writing at the end of the day after all the email has been answered after yeah. the like, you know, like Definitely. I actually need to get that stuff out of the way instead of getting the, doing the writing first, which has been a a weird shift that I had no idea was why I was struggling every morning. Yeah. I can't write in the morning. It's impossible for me. I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, it turns out me too. I have no idea. (laughs) Um, I'm, I want to know what's next for you. Obviously you're building the world around. Mm -hmm. Um, What are you thinking about right now? What are the issues that you are interested in? What's next for the world around? What's kind of like, what's on your horizon? I'm, um, I teach at Pratt now. I have a, a seminar. Uh, so that's kind of new and nice. Um, I am, I'm really, like truly I am trying to build the world around. Like I, I, I want to focus a lot on that. And it's, I think that there are quite, kind of a few different directions that we can go in. I think that there is a, um, there was such a lot of support from this edition. I think that mm-hmm. there was a sense of like, this is a, um, the way to go, you know, this is a really great, works great for the architects. It works, it's, it's a really nice exchange where it's not that the architects have to fly somewhere and present somewhere. And, you know, it's, you know, it's a kind of a one way street in terms of like, you know, we just get them to perform on stage and then, you know, give them a dinner. Like we are really crafting a story with them yeah. and, and telling their story with them. And we're producing a film that they can use too. And, um, I really want to to see where that goes um and Mm i i love i really enjoyed the process of of making these films and i work with this amazing um, producer and filmmakers and they think that we're we're gonna try and think about exploring different avenues you know for the world around Mm. like roads that we could go down um in the post-covid world but 
um, I do, um, yeah, I am kind of knuckling down into, into that. And, um, that's, I, I'm kind of open to like ideas. Like, like what are we going to do? Um, but, uh, you know, it's a lot of work to, to start an institution from scratch, to be honest. And we're, um, at that stage of, I'm, I'm at that stage of, of trying to figure out what's, uh, what's next and the right, the right next move. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of that. And, um, I, I, um, I think that this year will be the world around and then we'll see how next year goes. I mean, this year we're, we're working with the Guggenheim. So there are, um, two more events that we'll do with the Guggenheim this mm. year. We'll have, um, We'll do something in Venice, likely with Peggy Guggenheim, um, and we'll do uh, another event in the fall in in New York. So that's what I'm working on. Nice, yeah. nice. Um, my last question. This is a question I end all of these conversations with. I would love to know what you're reading right now. I mean, I I just well, let's put it this way. I just finished um, the whole um, three body problem trilogy. Mm. <laughs> um, I've, I, I've not gotten to that yet. Um, so that was like a big, um, uh, like, you know, I was really like focused on finishing that. And now I just started Octavia Butler, um, mm. uh, the parable of the sower. Um, so that's my, I'm kind of going through the sci-fi phase. Um, that, that makes sense. <laughs> that does not surprise me at all. I mean, it comes back to radical architecture of the future, which had, which had so many kind of sci-fi, uh, the book was not sci-fi, but it had sci-fi adjacent, uh, yeah. projects, I think. Yeah. I'm kind of going uh, through, um, that. And I, I mean, I, I actually, you know, I love reading. I, I really try to read as much as I can. And, um, I think that, I love sci-fi for that reason. It's just the perfect, to me, books are the perfect format for sci-fi. Um, mm. that's, that's where, um, I think that there is this the imagination. I just, I, I don't know the, 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 how, how vividly and how creatively people can convey these worlds through writing is to me just uh, a constant wonder. And yeah, I loved, yeah. I loved, um, I love reading the three body problem because every time I put the book down, I would look at my boyfriend and be like, you're not going to believe what just happened. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Just like so many ideas, you know, like packed into, you know, so many architectural ideas, so many spatial ideas, social ideas, they're just packed in there. Um, And that's the the genre of sci-fi. It's just like one crazy idea after the next. So I love it. This was such a great conversation. Like I said at the beginning, I'm a, I'm a big fan of you and your work. And it was so nice to talk to you about all of it and how you think about it. Thanks for being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. This episode was recorded on February 18th, 2021. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can support the show on Patreon and find previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.